Hello and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hi, Terry. Hello, Anita. So, as you know, we don't usually start this podcast with a trigger or content warning, because we assume if you're listening to a depression podcast, you'll not be surprised to hear us discuss depression, bipolar disorder, or their commonly associated dark or sometimes even suicidal thoughts. But this episode, we're doing a deeper dive than ever before. You know that we believe there is value in talking about even the darkest aspects of depression, including suicide. However, please trust yourself. And if you're in the kind of bad place where hearing an honest discussion about the suicidal thought process will not be good for you, please just click away choose a different episode. But if you are in the kind of bad place where hearing someone talk about their experience with suicidal thoughts and you think that would help you to feel less alone, please stay with us. Last week, you met our guest Katie, who on Instagram goes by Katie, the bipolar therapist. She talked about the difference between two back-to-back hospitalizations, one for surgery for a life-threatening injury and the other for emergency psychiatric care when she was suicidal. Katie is stable now and was more than willing to answer questions about that time in her life, since not talking about what it's like to have suicidal thoughts can leave others who are having them believing that either they're alone in the experience or that it's not okay or safe to share their thoughts and their plans when it can actually be quite dangerous not to. Because of the sensitivity of the topic, instead of having Katie's interview and then Anita's professional feedback, we're going to be hearing from Katie and then Anita, who again is a licensed clinical psychologist, so that we know we're presenting this information in the most responsible way we can. So here again is Katie, the bipolar therapist, giving her voice to depression. By way of review, Katie has been diagnosed with anxiety, OCD, and bipolar disorder 1. During the pandemic, she was under a lot of stress as a frontline mental health worker, in addition to trying to plan her wedding, with the rules for public gatherings changing over and over. It led, she says, to a manic episode. And then following my wedding, about two months later, I fell into a very deep depression. And I had a lot of guilt around it because I was newlywed. So I'm supposed to be happy and cheerful and in this wedding bliss. But I was super depressed. I was having thoughts of ending my life. 
I had very poor motivation. I wasn't doing anything besides getting up and going to work and then coming home and masking my depression. And I masked that depression for 10 months because I thought I was creating such a burden. Feeling like we're a burden of all the lies depression tells us, that one needs to be recognized for what it is, a single slippery step away from this conclusion. I very much convinced myself that everyone, my family, my friends, everybody would be better off without me being in their lives and being dead. So Anita, I want to bring you in here. This thought, and actually this specific phrasing, which has been used by I think every single person who has shared about their suicidal thoughts or attempts, that people, pets, everybody, everything would be better off without them. Is it your professional experience that this is kind of a tipping point? You know, I'm not sure if it's the tipping point for everyone, but that false idea, that thought that people who know you and love you would be better off without you is probably one of the most dangerous lies that depression can tell you. And I know for myself, and I tell my clients this, that if you start hearing this, if you start thinking or believing this, then you need to run, not walk to get help immediately, meaning you have to tell someone you're thinking this way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have actually told my loved ones who I know struggle with depression, if you ever have the thought that I am better off without you, know that that's a lie. Mm -hmm. Know that that's a lie and that you need to tell somebody right away because I will never be better off without you. And I wonder if that's a good thing to say to people who you know struggle. I think it's a very important thing to say. And I think if you can ask people to think about what would it be like if your loved one or your friend shared this with you, how would you feel? You know, how would you respond? And I think even people who are extremely depressed can can come out of that just enough with that kind of a an exercise to realize that you're leaving me, you're killing yourself would not relieve any burden. It 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 would it would devastate me. It would be it would be horrible. So yes. yeah. So I actually think saying, you know, you're not being here would would never ever relieve a burden it it would it would devastate me and i think you can be honest with people about that okay so we're going to back up and back out a bit to hear about the other thoughts that led katie to the point of despair can i ask you about what you were thinking and feeling or would you prefer to leave it at the way you described it first? no that's fine yeah i'd like to ask you if you're willing to answer what did your depression tell you about you during that period? The depression told me that I had an imposter syndrome so that I was not good at my job. So going into work was difficult because I thought that I was doing terrible and that my training as a social worker was not, not enough. The theme of not being enough ran through my mind constantly. So I thought I was a terrible wife because I was experiencing depression very close to after I got married. I was doing the bare minimum around the house because I was masking my depression to my husband. 
I felt extremely guilty for feeling the way I did because I am blessed with a lot in my life. I have supportive family. I have a very loving and supportive husband. So I was feeling very guilty because I kept thinking there's no reason for me to feel this way. Nothing terrible has happened to me. I'm blessed and things are very good in my life. Okay, Anita. So here are two more really common depressive or pre-suicidal thoughts. I'm not enough and feeling guilty for feeling the way you feel. I assume these are thoughts that you commonly hear in your practice too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that as I think about the clients that I've worked with, the false beliefs sort of stem from your experience of being in pain or suffering or not being able to feel anything, sort of that, that absence of, of, of all emotion. Mm-hmm. Then adding on to that experience of being aware that you are unable to do what you want to do or what you feel like you need to do. So that's sort of, that's, that's the experience of, of, of having severe depression. I think then the thought process that tries to begin to explain this or in a way almost justify it begins. And so you're absolutely right. Here comes the first thought, which is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough because I feel alien. I feel like I can't, I can't do anything that I need to do. Therefore, I don't feel good enough. Turns into I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Then kind of like the next step is feeling like because you're not good or good enough, you're not worthy of good things. And then another lie, which, which is that it's never going to change. Like it's never going to get better, the hopelessness piece. So we add on. It's sort of like we just keep piling on. Okay, so I'm already in pain and suffering. And then comes the next thought, I'm a burden because of all of this. Once we get to that place, it's really hard with all of this stuff sort of piling on Mm -hmm. to feel like there's a good reason to remain alive. So that puts you at the highest risk then. Those thought processes that follow the experience of being in pain and suffering and being unable to function the way you want to are all the lies that depression tells you. The only things that are really true is the first part, which is the experience of being in pain or suffering and being unable to do what you want to do or need to do. That's what depression looks like. Mm. Everything else is just the false lies on top of the real experience of depression. So if you can in any way say, okay, you're right, I'm in pain, I am suffering, I feel terrible, and I can't do what I need to do or want to do, that's a person who needs help. Yes. And that's likely a medical condition. You know, whether that's that's confined to what we think of as like the medical health condition or the medical mental health condition, those are the signs of someone in trouble. All of those thought processes that go along with that medical clinical depression are all lies and they are all false beliefs. But you can see how they just kind of pile on and and kind of compound an already existing problem with functioning and feeling okay, and that can lead to super high risk for suicide. It's it's important to note that a person who is experiencing severe depression, once we go from, from moderate to severe, those 
lies or those false beliefs or this thought process is not something that you really have a lot of control over. It is a part of the the disease process. Yes. It's a part of the disorder of, of, of severe clinical depression. You can't stop the thought process. That's that's why you've got to tell somebody immediately you're having the thought process. Because you can't think your way out of it. You can't pray your way out of it. You know, this is this is a person who needs help. The thought process just lets you know you're getting closer and closer to a place where you might actually seriously think that the only solution is to kill yourself. I think that's why we're doing this podcast. Because if you don't know mm-hmm. that it's a condition, that it's a symptom, there doesn't seem to be any reason to reach out because it's just you mm-hmm. and, and who's, who can help you with you just being worthless. But if you say like, oh, I heard on this podcast or wherever else, I hope you're hearing it. We hope you're hearing it. This is when I need to get help. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's when the whatever symptom, right? When right. your COVID is making it hard for you to breathe, you you know, you've got to get some help at that point because it's not going to get better by itself. So that's the conversation that needs to be had so that anybody listening who's anywhere near that place can say, okay, that reaching out thing is really hard because you have to believe all kinds of things that you might not believe in depression. But if you just look at it as a symptom and you say, the doctor on the podcast said, if I'm having these thoughts, I need to tell somebody. That, oh, what a difference that alone could make. Especially if we can just say those thoughts are symptoms of severe yes. depression. Those thoughts would be there if you yes. have severe depression. That's the norm. Yes. You know, it's not normal, but that's the norm for when depression is worsening. That thought process is going to begin to happen. If nothing else convinces somebody listening who does not live with depression how insidious and diabolical the illness is that should because anything that can get into your brain and into your body and tell you that the people who love you would be better off without you i'm kind of tearing up and stuff thinking about it that ought to that ought to help convince somebody how serious depression is yeah yeah the the insidious nature of it mm. the fact that it just it wears down a good person until they're so vulnerable that they actually Mm -hmm. think that thought it is it's you know we don't want to use words like evil and diabolical but but honestly it is so depression really that led to its ultimate end is it's going to take your life it's going to try to get you to take your life and it's very convincing again that whole thought process on top of the the clinical condition of not being able to feel any happiness, not having any hope, not being able to function in the world. And then we get you thinking that you're a worthless, you know, person mm-hmm. and that people would be better off without you. Like you can't come up with a better way, you know, to, to have the worst ending possible. So we want to fight it, of course, in the earliest stages. Like if you aren't able to function the way you always have, you know, all of those, those sort of symptoms of mild to moderate depression where you can't feel joy and you don't have energy and you've got brain fog and those kinds yeah. of things. Like that's when we want people to get help before that horrible, awful thought process then begins. We can be more effective then, but, but, but at any point, at any point in time, and certainly if you have the thought that people would be better off without you, that's, that's when you have to take action. Do use whatever last ounce of energy you have to push that out to somebody that you know 
well, listen, that could be a hotline, could be your therapist, could be your friend, your family member. You could honestly even be a stranger. And people know to act. Most people, I would say, know to act, even if they have no education in suicide prevention. If, if people hear that phrase, I think people would be better off without me. I think of, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to end it. I think people know you have to do something. You have to do something then. It's not unlike saying, I think I'm having a heart attack or I think I'm having a stroke. You would never look at someone and say like, yeah, I have no experience with mm-hmm. that and I'm just going to go on with my day. I mean, right. you would be like, oh my gosh, this is an emergency. Yes. You know, whatever I was about to do doesn't matter anymore. Right. And if I don't know how to handle that emergency, I'm going to get someone who does. Yep. Okay. So there are a number of feeling-based symptoms with depression, which is one reason it can be hard to recognize it in ourselves or others. Some people experience deep anger, others a disconnected numbness, and some, like Katie, overwhelming sadness. I cry constantly and... I'm somebody who cries at commercials normally, (laughs) but the crying was worse. I was crying, hiding crying. So I would take a bath and the entire bath, I would be crying, thinking about what a burden I am, why, how people could be better off without me. Now, after an attempt or death by suicide, there is often talk of how selfish the act was. I will share that the first time I lost a family member by suicide, the priest who showed up at the house to offer comfort used that very phrase on his way out the door. But when talking with attempt survivors about what was going through their, admittedly unwell, minds at the time, many deeply and truly believed that they were acting unselfishly. Katie believed she was deliberately so. I consider that people would grieve my loss, but uh, as a social worker, I thought in my head, they'll grieve, but after a year, two years, they'll get over it and move on with their lives. And I know for a fact that's not true because I've had a very close loved one end their life. I did start to make preparations to do so, and... I just want to add that everything I was doing was to not be selfish in my mind because I was trying to spare people any extra trauma or grief associated with my death. So I was acting very selflessly during that time that I was actively planning to end my life. So let's talk about that. She was believed she was acting very selflessly during her planning. When talking with people whose loved ones have taken their own lives, they have an understandably difficult time accepting or believing that their person was actually thinking about them in the end. And we don't want anyone listening to believe that their loved ones would be better off without them. So how do you thread that needle when you're talking to someone who may be considering or planning to end their life or to someone who's mourning a loss of someone who did? Well, okay, so two parts. How you know? How do you talk to someone who's who's thinking that way? Um, I talked earlier about do the role reversal. You know, how would you feel if a friend or a loved one was thinking that ending their life would would in some way 
benefit, you know, it would be beneficial for the people around them. They can, they can, if they can take, if they, if their depression is not so severe, they can take that other point of view. They can see it for themselves. But depression makes you feel like the alien or like the exception to the rule. So even if you wouldn't feel a certain way, if an, if your, your friend were thinking this, depression can make you feel like none of the rules apply to you, mm. you know? Like, it, like, no, of course it wouldn't be beneficial if a friend of mine thought that, that ending their life would, would be beneficial for everyone around them. But in my case, it would. We're asking people who are really depressed to do the impossible sometimes, which is bring yourself back into the same circle of care and, and compassion and understanding that you would give to other people, but you're, you're depriving yourself from that. And so... This is why we put the emphasis on tell someone, because that outside person hearing you is going to be the, the person to say, no, this is not okay. You know, we have to get you help because you may, you may, once you're so depressed thinking, I'm the exception to all of the rules, my, mm-hmm. my death would actually improve the lives of the people that I love. You've got to say that because anyone else around you is going to say, no, that's not true. That's a lie. You can try to convince a person with depression who's suicidal that that is a lie, but sometimes they may not be able to hear it. But anybody else around you who hears it is going to be like, whoa, that's absolutely not not the case. So we want you to, you, know, you got to take that risk to tell somebody when, when that thought process begins. And as we're talking to family members, friends, and others in that person's circle. In terms of trying to help people understand how their loved one could have actually been thinking about them when they took their life. I, I try to use this analogy because we're in that age of of all of us getting fished and scammed by people. And the most effective scamming um, sort of routines are to convince somebody that w- their loved one is in trouble. Their loved one is traveling and has lost everything or they've been kidnapped or some kind of a story that makes you feel absolutely compelled to do what you can to help them. And so people have been scammed out of huge sums of money thinking that they were doing something to help somebody that they love, right? So there's all this financial damage that's done, but the intention was good. It was like, I thought somebody that I cared about needed my help. Okay. So just think about depression as kind of being like the ultimate scammer. It convinces people who are already literally physically, mentally, and emotionally worn down um, but from, from the disease process and from trying to fight all of those horrible thoughts that, that continue to, to go through their minds. It convinces those people who are very vulnerable that it will actually help their loved ones and or not really harm them, like they'll get over it. If, if they end their lives, like, again, I'll be doing something good for the, for the people that I care about if I do this thing. So it's not true, but scammers take advantage of vulnerable people or they, they feed them false information so that then they are very vulnerable. And here comes this thought, people would be better off without me. So it really is depression being able to prey upon somebody who's vulnerable they think they're doing something good for the people they care about. And I think in the vast majority of cases, that's true. The end result was devastating, but the intention was not to cause harm. 
Although we shared this part of Katie's stories in last week's episode about hospitalizations, we want to reiterate that she believes nothing could have stopped her from going through with her plans to kill herself if she had not reached out and told someone what was going on inside her mind. Yeah, I think that that's definitely safe to say that if I had reached out to my husband, as I said, I did eventually tell my sister everything. And that was kind of this big explosion of feelings. Um, And she took the proper precautions immediately. She went right into my sister needs help and I'm going to do what I can to help her survive. But the way I was thinking at the time, I was almost embarrassed and ashamed of it. So it would have been very difficult for me to reach out to the people who cared about me to tell them what I was experiencing because I was also afraid of being hospitalized. Okay, so Anita, Katie says she was afraid to be hospitalized and it is scary to be hospitalized. I think it's kind of scary to be hospitalized for anything sometimes, but for psychiatric care that there's all the rest of it. There's you know, movies we've seen, there's stories we've all heard about somebody being taken in handcuffs, all those things. And for some reason, those stories stick and are repeated, it seems, more often than I went to the hospital, I got the care I needed. You know, I got my meds adjusted, I, I got therapy, I, you know, learned some new ways to manage my depression. We just, for whatever reason, don't seem to hear those as often. So it's not surprising that those fears influence decisions about being honest when considering or planning a suicide. How do you professionally address those fears and tell someone what? It's going to be okay? You know, we can't promise that. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's sort of like we have to acknowledge that this is not going to be a, a great experience, a fun experience. Um, mm-hmm. It might even have some things that we have to undo a little bit of damage that could be done by going through an experience if it felt kind of traumatizing either the way that it happened or 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 how it happened but what i've always said is i want you to be alive and either hate me you know because hospitalization is the right thing right now or i want you to be alive and give us the opportunity to work through any of the aspects of hospitalization that were not good because the alternative is you're not here the alternative is we lose a really good person. So even if you're worried about, I, I don't want to go there, I don't want to go through it, I've heard all these stories, or I had a bad experience before, I don't want to have a bad experience. I'm like, we can we can heal from bad experiences. That's kind of like the whole cornerstone of therapy. We can heal from bad experiences, but we would need you to be here to heal from that. And I put the emphasis on you deserve to be here and be feeling better and healing from this and recovering from this that's why we're even thinking about a step like hospitalization because we've gotten to that point where it's a we either take take the gamble to get through this experience which again i think most of the time is actually not terrible and horrible we don't hear those stories like you said but i i'd rather we take the gamble that this is not going to be the best experience of your life because on the end of it you're here you're here you're recovering, we can work through that, we can heal any anything 
that you went through that you were like, I really hated this part of hospitalization, or I really hated this aspect, or or this person who who spoke to me this way during the hospitalization. Like we can heal from that, but nobody can heal from death. I just put it that way. Whatever happens, I'm going to be here with you. We're going to get through this. That's the most important thing is that you're going to get through this. And we will do whatever we have to on the other end to manage anything from the past. That's what we can do in therapy. I've actually just sort of realized that because, you know, I'm like, why didn't I reach out? Why didn't I reach out? You know, it wasn't stigma. It wasn't hiding. No, depression jumps in and it gives you that rationale for why nothing's working right. and why you feel terrible. you're terrible. It's your fault. <laughs> There's something you, wrong as a with human being. you. Yeah, exactly. Horrible. Horrible. I mean, think of the Horrible difference stuff. between that there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. and there's something wrong with you. And don't those land really? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes, we already know there's something wrong because I feel terrible and I can't function. But no, it's actually you. Yes. <laughs> you're the thing that's wrong. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the diabolical thing. Because then when you're bad, it's not just I'm not good enough. I'm not good. Yeah. You don't want a bad person in all of your loved one's lives. So... Let's just, we'll solve that problem. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it is, it's truly awful. Mm-hmm. And if you have this, the, I never know what word to use, like if your reaction to the depression isn't shut down and sad, it isn't, you know, mm-hmm. the different things it can be. If yours is that angry, that'd be even easier to believe. Yes. Because now you're like, look, I'm causing a disruption in my home. I'm disturbing right. the peace in my home, in my life, in my family. Right. If, if, if the inability to function the way that you always have does include that piece that you're saying, Terry, where you feel like you're being horrible to the people around you. And yet you're right. Then you just gave depression more evidence to convince you that you are a bad person. It's not just I've lost control of my ability to, you know, speak in a kind or, you know, respectful way to people. It's nope, you're a bad person. So as we near the end of this, longer episode. A a really important point that Katie made that I I would just want to revisit before we close out here is when I asked her what would have helped, what someone could have said, what someone could have done, just what would have helped? She said nothing. Mm -hmm. But she meant nothing in the context of if she wasn't telling anyone, when she wasn't telling anyone. When she did, everything helped. Her psychiatrist helped, her sister helped, her husband helped, the hospitalization helped, the therapist helped. Yes, some people said some clueless and hurtful things, But she's here, and she's in a place where she's sharing her story now to help people. That's a very, very, Mm -hmm. very different place than where she was. So I think we need to visit that just one more time in the end here, that nothing can help Mm -hmm. if we don't allow for help. You're you're absolutely right. And and I want to say that I've never heard somebody reach out to me and say that they were in a bad place or... The, the shorthand, I, I need help. I've never responded to that by thinking, oh my gosh, really? I have to deal with this? You know, I've never had that response, not as a not as a, a person and not as a therapist. And again, I think one of the lies depression tells you is that nobody wants to hear you reach out. You're going to burden them even by telling them, you know, that you're struggling. Depression, it wants you to believe that People who are having a great time in their lives definitely don't want to be brought down by you saying that you're struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts. And then it will lie to you and tell you that if the people that you know, your friends, your family are going through a hard time, then they definitely aren't going to want to hear that. And that's not true. 
That's not true. We really are wired that if somebody is struggling, we want to try to help. We want to try to be there. There are very few people who would respond in a negative way. They've got their own issues and problems. And, and unfortunately, if you are surrounded by those people, you know, as, as your friends or your family members, then please don't reach out to them if you think that's the response you, you would get. But there are so many people out there. They're staffing hotlines, they're working as in, in healthcare and in mental health care, and they're literally just all around you. They could be strangers to you, but they're not strange to, to being a human wanting to help another human being. That's the vast majority of people. People want to be helpful, but they need to know that you need it. So again, you use your last ounce of energy to just say to anybody, I'm really struggling. I think I need help. That's all you've got to get out. You could write it down and hand a note to somebody that says that. And honestly, 99.9% of the time, you would get a positive response. Because of what depression's telling you makes it seem like it's this huge, huge risk and you should never, never do this. But that's not true. It's another lie. You want to do whatever you can to reach out. Because just like Katie said... Nothing that anybody said when she wasn't telling people what she was experiencing and what she was thinking really helped. The only thing that would have helped was how they responded and all the things, all the resources, all of the things that began to happen after she said, I need help. Excellent way to end. So thank you, uh, Anita. Mm -hmm. And thank you, Katie, for being the catalyst, the springboard for us to have a larger discussion uh, around your experience and suicidal ideation in general. So we hope that this episode has been helpful. We also have put together a 10-minute video compiling the things that we have heard from people over the past seven years about their darkest thoughts and how hearing how similar they are has helped them realize those thoughts are symptoms and not truths. So if anybody is interested in seeing that, you know how to get a hold of us. Go to givingvoicetodepression.com and click that orange record button and just record us like a voicemail. Okay. Wow, that was a lot. Um, it's all needs to be said, all needs to be heard. So thank you, everybody. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen.